Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, if you follow intercollegiate athletics, you may well have a question, as many do, and that is, how are decisions made at the NCAA level? Who's involved in those decisions? Who drives them? What are the guidelines? How long do they take? Uh, it's a fascinating area, and, and we hope that our next guest is going to help us understand it a little bit better. Uh, Al Curitan is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, and he has been in a leadership role for the NCAA for, for a number of years, involved in the President's Council, the Board of Governors, and we will talk with him about all of that and what all that means. But Al, it, it's a pleasure. Welcome. Thank you, Jack. Thanks. It's a delight to be here and to meet you. Oh, that's, ki that's say, kind of you to say. A, yeah, this is a real treat for me. That's kind of, usually my mother uh, says that, and she only says it once in a while. Well, <laughs> so that, that, that's kind of you. You've been an exceptional journalist all these years, and I have Thank appreciated you. your integrity and that's quality. That's kind, kind so, of you. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, let's start off to, to get a better understanding of this with, with a sense of your background. Mm -hmm. right? uh, tell me about your institution, um, uh, University of Northwestern St. Paul, its size, it, its approach to intercollegiate athletics. And what got you there as the president? Okay. So University of Northwestern St. Paul has been uh, around since 1902. So we have a long history. Uh, Minneapolis has been our home, Minneapolis-St. Paul, Twin Cities, mm -hmm. if anybody's been there. Uh, the river divides it uh, mm -hmm. between one side. And there are two different cities. They are so very I've been there. Anyways. I was actually at the Minnesota State Fair, as a matter of fact. Oh. So I got to see both sides oh, of, you, of the you, you know what it's like to be Indeed. a true Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, everything's great, on a food on a stick. Food on a stick yeah, and everything is fried. Go. And it was there fabulous. I loved it. It's not good for your health, but it <laughs> tastes great. All right. So um, the university has been, uh, uh, I would say, it's been private the whole time. We are a, what was termed a faith-based school, so, uh, but we've never been connected to a denomination. In fact, we're the only ca private school in the state of Minnesota not connected to a church or a specific denomination. So uh, that's been kind of our ethos and our DNA. Mm -hmm. um, and we have 3,500 students. Uh, we have about 1,700 uh, during the day, what you and I would call traditional, mm -hmm. 18 to 24 year olds. We have a number of students online, close to 1,500 or so online. Then we have graduate students as well as uh, continuing education or working adults. So it's a variety that we do offer in our program. So there's always activity on campus. Uh, being in a metro location is a real advantage to us in that regard. So uh, we have 73 different majors. Uh, Across the spectrum, we're adding engineering. A lot of majors for for yeah. not an enormous student body. That's that gives, true. It gives your students marvelous opportunities. That's true, and, and but it's very market sensitive and market driven, mm -hmm. and so we try to stay. How, up. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, as disruptions happen in the marketplace, we react to it. So, like the, one of the new majors we're adding is data analytics. Mm -hmm. Another name for that might be cybersecurity. We're going to add engineering in the fall because of the demand of, of students coming in wanting STEMs or the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, we added nursing four years ago, and this fall we'll have 250 nursing students. So it's just mushrooming. It's just exploding. But, again, it's reacting to the market and any of the disruptions that are taking place uh, along that line. Mm -hmm. And also we have a number of students who are what we call part of the post-secondary educational opportunity, which is the state of Minnesota and the state of Washington are the only two states in the union that provide opportunity for students in high school to take college courses, and the state pays for it. So this fall, we'll have 250 high school juniors and seniors on our campus taking classes at Northwestern. And I, we, according to our data, know that about every, the students will average 12 hours, 12 credit hours each. 
So that's in addition to our day school population. So parking is going to be a little bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, but it gives a lot of students a, an yeah. opportunity to exposure. Exactly, to Jack. And that so they wouldn't have otherwise. Exactly. And it's enabling students to find a way to make college affordable, and they're getting out in less than four years. So a number of our students, more than 70% of our students that come to Northwestern, new students, have some type of previous college credit. So it's an interesting dilemma that's taking place at our institution where we can say to a student, if you come prepared, you can get out of here in three years. That's huge. Financially. As you said, nowadays, given given the concerns yeah. that people have for higher education, yeah. that's an, an enormous uh, right. asset for you. Right. Uh, describe your athletic program for us. We are a Division three school, so uh, students play for the love of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's twenty. We offer twenty one sports, a um, variety of things, as you imagine, uh, as any institution. Recently, we've added men's and women's lacrosse, which is a growing sport in the uh, Midwest. East Coast, it's incredibly it's, popular. Both of my children were Division One lacrosse players. There you but, go. but you know, my daughter graduated in two thousand four, my son in two thousand nine, and most of their teams, they both played at Yale, were from the East Coast. The, now yeah, you're right. seeing drawing from the, the West Coast, from the South, from the Midwest. It, it has been an explosion. Exactly, and so it's been an, uh, an absolute positive impact for us, because you know each team brings in about twenty five players. Uh, you've got an increase of fifty students in your population. You hire a full time coach. The ROI is there. It pays for itself. And so for a small private college, it, it's been, you know, just like adding a major, if you would. So uh, that's been good. Um, uh, and also, it's been a huge uh, help to us was uh, renovating our athletic complex. And so, we, you know, being in, being in Minnesota, <laughs> our spring seasons are fairly short. <laughs> and one of the smartest things we did is we turfed our softball and baseball fields. And those turf fields, if there's any sunshine, they melt that snow incredibly quick. So we were playing baseball against another Division three school last year on February 27th. That's astonishing. It was the earliest of baseball games ever been played in the state of Minnesota. But again, the technology, by capitalizing on the technology, providing the resources, uh, we were able to get our students uh, at least to guarantee they have some type of baseball season and softball, uh, given the fact that temperatures and geography don't make a difference. So That, that is it, – it's an extraordinarily robust – um, athletic department, I mm-hmm. think, for a, a school of your size. Right. Let me ask you, you this. It, it, the president of a university has a lot of things going on. Right? Yeah. Um, you're being pulled in, in any number of different directions. Um, why have you decided that you wanted to be involved with the NCAA and, and with leadership on that level with regard to intercollegiate athletics? Well, Jack, part of it's driven. Uh, like you, I, am a, uh, an, a, I was a student athlete in college. And in fact, if it wasn't for uh, a scholarship, uh, going to college would have been difficult and challenging. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity that a college gave me with a small scholarship to be able to to attend college and compete. Because one, I did want to continue playing, but two, the only way I could afford to attend a college was to have some type of financial assistance. And if it wasn't academic, which didn't happen for me in high school. I had too much fun goofing off. <laughs> but uh, the opportunity to play football and uh, continue on my education was absolutely paramount. So uh, that's uh, I've been it's been part of my DNA all these years. And so uh, in my years of college administration, when I was in student life or overseeing administration or even advancement, for some reason I was also overseeing athletics. And so I've been monitoring athletics and and guiding those programs uh, for a number of years. And so when I took over the presidency, it seemed appropriate for the AD to report to me. 
And at that time, we were transitioning out of the NAIA to the NCAA because mm-hmm. there was a moratorium uh, at Division Three for a number of years, not allowing schools in. They lifted that moratorium, and we as a conference decided we all needed to apply and transition from the NAIA to the NCAA. And so in the process, then it requires the presidents to get involved. So that's when I had to get involved in the process. It required my attendance at conventions. It required my attendance at seminars to learn about the NCAA, et cetera, et cetera. In the process, then, I got to know people at Division Three level, specifically Dan Dutcher, who's our vice president for Division Three, and a number of his staff members. And so Dan and I kind of developed this relationship. And so as our institution and our conference went from NAI to NCAA, uh, we started inviting Dan and staff to our our, conf- our conference meetings and things like that. And next thing you know, I'm on the president's advisory group, <laughs> right, representing the right. Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. Right. And so, you you know, you get involved and you, ma- you make a few statements. And the next thing you know, uh, you get an invitation to the president's council. That's right. And then the next and thing you, get you know. Both my- congratulations and commiserations. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so then also my peers you know, kind of say, well, Al, would you chair the president's council? Right. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to do that for two years. Talk about that. The, when you're talking about the Division Three president's council, what is, what is that? I, here, let me preface it by this. Um, one of the things I hope that we can do in our conversation is give people a better understanding of how mm. how things happen at the NCAA, how rules take place, how they how they evolve, and, and the role of, of academic leaders such as yourself. Because I think that's something that people out there don't don't know very much about. You know, you and I were talking about before. If you grab mm-hmm. somebody off the street and they know a little bit about the NCAA, they'd probably say, "Well, you know what? It's an organization, and you know the president uh, can change rules tomorrow if if he wants to." Yeah, you and I know that's not true. It's not true. So tell me what the role of, of, of you know, you're, you're uh, chair of the President's Council, Division Three President's Council. What's the yeah. role of the President's Council in the governance process? One of the beautiful things about this association, that it's membership driven. So it's absolutely imperative, and I, I share this with my colleagues as much as possible. It needs to be presidential involved leadership. Uh, yes, you're going to have coaches and athletic directors, but the presidents need to be involved. And it's a delight for me when we have convention and I see at least uh, 25 to 30 percent of Division Three presidents in attendance. Which I that's think a big is, number. It, it is. You know, people don't realize how big Division Three is. Yeah, it, yeah, right. We're you know 440 members, yeah. I think, somewhere around there. Don't quote easily me exactly. the largest, the largest of the that's three divisions. That's my understanding. That's, yes, I believe so. And so. Uh, uh, we're delighted that we get that kind of response. But it's also essential that we have presidential leadership. We, we are an athletic association, but we are academic institutions. And there needs to be a balance through that whole thing. And that's what I love about Division Three is the fact academics are at the forefront. Now, they're also at the forefront for Division Two and Division One. Even though people may not believe that, I've seen the commitment of my peers at Division One, Division Two, and it's there. But at Division Three, since students play for the love of the game, Jack, they may go to their lab instead of practice mm-hmm. because that's what's required. Or they may go to their clinicals or they may, you know, and the coaches can't require them to be at the practice because they have their academic commitment. So it's a little bit of a different structure. But but the uniqueness of the association is that we're membership driven. So the membership generates the legislation. The membership generates the support. And one of the one of the um, experiences that I enjoy every year at convention is Saturday, when when each division gets together and on their own they discuss legislation, 
and legislation that not only pertains to their division, but to the association as a whole, too. And we get to talk and debate and discuss. And some of those discussions we have on Saturday morning are pretty interesting, <laughs> pretty emotional, right. pretty uh, uh, insightful. And, and it's amazing how many pieces of wisdom are shared from the perspective of those practitioners who are in the trenches with the students. So someone may not understand, too, that the NCAA um, do, isn't necessarily all about the Final Four, but it's all about how do we provide them the best optimum experience for our student-athletes possible given where we're at in our conferences and at our, at our respective institutions. So that's, that's what people may not know about the NCAA. Yeah. So you, you talk about, you know, when you get your Division three meetings and you talk mm -hmm. about the President's Council, um, you also are currently serving on, on the Board of Governors. Right. Now, the, the, the Board of Governors is different. You know, you talk about each division having their council. Yeah. Explain to us the Board of Governors and, and who composes the Board of Governors. Well, the Board of Governors is made up of representatives from Division One, Division Two, and Division Three, and also representatives from the management councils of all three divisions. Uh, so the chair of the Division Three Management Council will join both the vice chair and myself on the Board of Governors. What's, what's the difference between Management uh, Council and your President's great Council? Great question. Management Council is made up of individuals that are practitioners, athletic directors, uh, athletic uh, faculty athletic representatives, um, commissioners, mm -hmm. and there's even a slot for two presidents on the Management Council. And they do a lot of the uh, groundwork mm -hmm for things that happen within the division. So all the committees will report to them, uh, the variety of committees that we have, the sports committees, things like that, funnel up through the management council. And then the management council recommends to the president's council steps we should take as a division association. So these are the practitioners. That's the best way okay. to describe the difference right. between the two. So then get us now to the, to board, the of board of governors. All right. The board of governors is made up of uh, representatives from division one, I believe there are 12 Division I presidents, and that's divided up between the uh, football conferences, the um, sub-football conference, and then the non-football schools. Mm -hmm. And then there are two representatives from Division II, the chair and vice chair of the President's Council, and two representatives from Division Three, chair and vice chair. And so because I served as vice chair for two years and chair for two years, I've been on the Board of Governors for four years. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was on the Board of Governors when it was called the Executive uh, Committee. Right. And we changed our name to the Board of Governors. And the Board of Governors oversees— Why was that important to change the name? What, uh, what, what did it I project, think it was a better description. Think? Board of Governors is a better description as to who we were rather than an executive committee uh -huh. uh, made up of representatives. Or uh, I think it's the same with the uh, Board of Trustees. Mm -hmm versus an executive committee within the Board of Trustees. So it's a better description, Board of Governors, as to who we are uh, and what we do. And so we have oversight over everything with the association, uh, not only about finances, but also the hiring and firing of the president, uh, the valuation of the president, uh, legislation that takes place, um, approval for uh, a number of things uh, that come to us uh, in regards to maybe social justice issues or um, or uh, location of uh, championship sites or things like that. So uh, that we really talk about things at the 30,000-foot level. Right. Uh, the bigger picture. Let's right. look at everything playing right. out there. But I, I, the Board of Governors is a, um, is a strong um, representation within Division One. But when people look at the NCAA, that's what they see. Right. 
are those large, you know, Power Five conference types of schools. Kind of, of the school. front porch, right. if you would, of, right. of the NCAA. And, but it's, but there's a whole lot behind us. A lot behind us. Right. But I, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that we have a voice at the table for Division Three, and Division Two has a voice at the table. How does that work, though, Al? It, it, you know, if you're envision, uh, you're at, it, you know, think about a you know a, a corporate board, a board of sure, trustees, and sure. you have a, yeah. a big percentage of them yeah. of the one group, and, yeah. and Division One is very different in many ways. And I'm not trying to right. say it's better or worse; it's just different. It is different. And then you have Division Three, Two, and, and Division Three. So how then does does that all? How does the what's the dynamic there in Side of that room when you had very different perspectives that you bring to the conversation. Uh, you're asking great questions, Jack. Because <laughs> it's easy to are, ask if you've got to answer. I know, I know. There are different perspectives. Yeah. One of the things that I really appreciate uh, about the bold decision uh, we made a couple of years ago by transitioning from executive committee to board of governors is the creation of a vice chair position, and the vice chair position will be someone from Division Two and Division Three. So for the last two years, it's been a Division Three president. Jay Lemons was in that role. And when uh, Kirk Schultz left Kansas State and was chair of the Board of Governors to go to Washington State, uh, we were in a transition. And Jay, as as the vice chair, stepped into the role to chair the Board of Governors. So here we had an opportunity of of a Division Three school having a voice and having a leadership role at the Board of Governors that had never, ever happened before. So I, I applaud and support completely the direction that we've taken as an association in recent years to provide representation of that broad base that we have in this association. And that's just one window into how that's happened. But when we sit together as a board of governors, there's no, um, there's no pretense there. We're all equal colleagues. Uh, we all represent our institutions. Granted, some are small like the University of Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Some are large like my friend at the University of Central Florida. Uh, John, I think, has like, like 50,000 50, students, yeah, I think. Yeah, something. crazy amount, right. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're sitting there as equals. So what, what's, fair for, what's really fair for me is that Division Three has an equal voice at the table and at least uh, a recognized voice, especially now that they've created that vice chair role. Uh, Glenn Jones is now uh, the vice chair since Jay has stepped away from his role as the president of his institution. And uh, Glenn uh, is at Henderson State in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And now we have a D2 vice chair uh, that supports Bud Peterson, who's our chair of mm-hmm. the Board of Governors, the president of Georgia Tech. So it's working out really well, Jack. And I like the way the ebb and flow goes. So is there, is there indeed a, 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 a willingness? Because I... You, you would think at some point there there might be such a difference in approach. Uh, yeah. You know, look at, at, you know, fairly recently now where, where you're seeing some schools, and this is, you know, not necessarily a decision you had to make or have to make, but some schools saying, all right, we will provide an in- increased aid to our students, cost of attendance aid mm-hmm. over and above the tuition room board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when you and I were, 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 were coming out into college, I remember, you know, the scholarships that I was offered was – uh, room board um, tuition fees and what they called laundry money, uh, you know, which which basically was your subsistence money because you know what you're yeah. a 19 year old kid you're not real concerned about doing your laundry, right. um, but uh, you know those are those types of issues. But there are certain issues that are going to resonate more with the Division One folks than they will with oh, the Division Three folks, and 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 also the other way. Certain right. di- will resonate more with you as right. a Division Three representative than Division One. So are you at some point in time just sort of talking around each other or are you able to really 
bring all of these perspectives into the conversation? We try to bring all the perspectives in, but, um, but you know, in all honesty, there's just a strong Division One flavor because of the magnitude of what's taking place on those campuses. And uh, for some, uh, the, the struggle to stay in Division One or be in Division One. For others, it's the, uh, the uh, prosperity of Division One uh, that they're uh, celebrating and, and emphasizing and can now provide for their student athletes at least uh, cost of attendance plus a small stipend. Uh, but for those of us, like in Division Three, uh, really, I, I, you know, our students play for the love of games, so it's a different DNA. So I, I'll give you an example. A couple the, years by ago, the way, I have always thought it's the most pure approach. And I don't mean to diminish anything. I played Division One. My children yeah, played Division One. Yeah, yeah. I love the Division Three yeah, approach yeah, to, to, to athletics. I agree. And the balance that I comes agree. from it. Yeah. A couple of years ago, uh, during the opening session of a convention, uh, Mark had three of us up there, the Division One president, Division Two, and Division Three, and, and he asked the question of us as well as the SAC chairs, uh, uh, what do you like about your, your, the other divisions? And I told Division One, I said, I like your, your pageantry of going to a football game. At a Division One school, it's just the pageantry and the, and the atmosphere and the celebration. And my colleague from Division Two said, what I love about Division Three is that your students play for the love of the game, the purity of it. And when she said that, the audience broke out into applause. Yeah. Because, Jack, they, just like you and me, there's a bias there. It's like, right. you play for the love of the game. It's a different motivation. It's a different. And so, you know, I love to, you know, to watch our students at Northwestern compete. Mm -hmm. And, and week there's, you know... When we were competing last year in the finals of the regional for volleyball against Cal Lutheran, who were le the previous year's uh, national, national champions, champion. the gym was packed. The, uh, the, the volleyball competition was unbelievable at a high level, and, and the atmosphere was just delightful. And, and when, we, we, when we won that game in five sets, I think by two points, if I remember correctly, the camaraderie between the two teams on the floor was so special. There was such a respect going back and forth for those students, you know, and that's what you love about right. it. Well, the I've often said this about Division Three: the competition is no less fierce. Yeah, I, I mean, it, yeah. it is the same competitive drive. It, you, you just yeah. some of the trappings are a little bit different, as you yeah. said. The elements of pageantry might not be there, but it doesn't mean that it's not as as fulfilling in 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 many ways. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. And and to play at the national level uh, when you get to that final four. Uh, you've got to be pretty talented, you know, yeah. all the way across the board. I don't care what division you're right. in and where you're at uh, type of thing. But, uh, you know, the, when we look at the different divisions, uh, we are so uniquely different. But at the same time, there's the desire to provide an experience for our student athlete that's the best environment that we can provide. And we're all three divisions committed to that. All 1,100 institutions, three divisions, one association, we're in it together for the student athlete. So last question then for you, and you've seen this in, at various levels in your involvement here. And oftentimes you, you see people raising questions. Well, you know, is the NCAA, is it too large? You know, 1,100 member institutions, is it too unwieldy? Should it be broken up? Should each division go off on its own? Are, are, are you optimistic that, that the, the, the approach that the, the organization is taking, integrating all three of the divisions into this decision-making process, are, are, are you confident that it, it, it not only works now, but can continue to work in the future? Oh, without a doubt. See, we, Jack, we need each other. 
We're able to do what we do at Division Three because we get a we get an allotment every year. So uh, so we benefit from that Final Four experience, as does Division Two. So we can provide for our student athletes in a wonderful championship experience, all because of that TV contract and the revenue that's produced by the Final Four. So it's 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 a benefit that goes all all up and down that continuum, if you will, between Division One, Division Two, Division Three. So Division One blesses us; we bless Division One. You know, I mean, it goes back both ways, yeah. and also Division Two. I'm not meaning to ostracize or separate her. It's all heavily integrated together. We need each other in that process all right. the way across the board. It, it is a fascinating process um, that, that has evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. um, our guest has been Al Curitan, the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Al, it's a pleasure. Thanks for, for helping guide us through all of this. Oh, Jack, it's been a delight. It. Thank all you right. for asking me. You be well. Uh, that does it for us t for today for the College Sports Insider. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jack Ford, and we will see you again soon. 